Again, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through uh, 12. But just, you know, kind of recap uh, where we have been. Um, we know that, again, Paul is on his uh, second missionary journey where he goes and establishes the church in Thessalonica up there in Macedonia. And he has to leave there very quickly. Uh, he's only there for, you know, three to five weeks. Uh, he gets out of there because he is chased out by the, the hostile Jews who are, uh, you know, upset with his teaching and how he's pulling others away from, uh, from the Judaism. And so he's chased down to Berea, which is uh, where he uh, is there for a little while, again, before he is chased out one more time by those same uh, Jews from Thessalonica who came down to Berea and chased him away once more. Uh, he then gets on boat and goes down to Athens uh, and then into Corinth. And, and we believe it's right around this time, uh, either in Corinth or, if, or when he goes over to Ephesus, uh, that he is going to write uh, this letter. And again, this is one of the earlier letters that Paul writes, First um, and Second Thessalonians, to a very uh, young church. And so we covered uh, basically chapter 1 last week, and so we'll be in chapter uh, 2 uh, this week. Um, but, you know, Paul has specifics in mind why he's writing uh, this letter uh, to them. Again, they're very young in the faith. They, they have a lot of questions, especially about the, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, you know, I've mentioned that, you know, in all five chapters in First Thessalonians, he's going to touch on uh, that aspect because that's something that they are very concerned about. But, but in chapter 2, and we're only going to look at the first 12 verses here this morning, uh, Paul has uh, some other agendas that he wants to get through to them. And one of those being is that, hey, you know, I'm the real deal here. Um, have you ever gotten an email before and possibly that email said that, you know, they, they just found out that you had this long lost relative who uh, recently passed away and they're really and they're searching to find if they can find you know, the, that next of kin, and so they believe it's you. And so, uh, surprisingly, you know, this relative that you never knew you had uh, has an estate over, you know, seven figures. And, but in order for you to, uh, you know, start the process, you need to send a $10,000 check uh, to the, the country of Nigeria. Are you, have you ever gotten one of those emails before? You know, it's basically, it's a scam, right? It's a scam to uh, prey on individuals, to um, have them send their hard-earned money across uh, the country uh, to uh, make a quick buck. You know, Angela and I, um, before we uh, moved, we uh, were doing a little bit of home renovations to our home, and we, we hired a person uh, that we thought would have done a, you know, a pretty good job of you know, doing a quick uh, fix uh, for something that we didn't think it was going to cost too much and it wasn't going to be too much of a pain. And so we, we brought him in and he started doing the work and we, you know, we paid him half up front and things were going well. And about halfway through the project, uh, we decided to give him uh, the, the remaining amount of, the, uh, of his payment, which of course the next day didn't show up. And the next day didn't show up and the day after that didn't show up and uh, the phone calls went straight to voicemail, and um, you know it was excuse after excuse after excuse with him uh, until finally there was no communication left. Well, again, you know we got you know we got scammed, we got taken uh, because 
uh, you know, we, I guess in, in hindsight, we should have waited until the project was completed. But we, we trusted the individual and we thought that, you know, he'd have the project done for us. Uh, but he didn't. But again, uh, there are those who are like that. And so Paul, uh, in the first uh, century, uh, he, you know, again, he's on his missionary journeys and he's living in a time where, uh, you know, maybe in his historical books, you might see that it's referred to as the Pax Romana. Uh, this is a time where, um, we, we, and that word just means simply means Roman peace. And so um, it's time when, you know, there's still um, violence going on in the world, but relatively everything's pretty peaceful now. The Roman government is in charge and they've got this widespread area that they are overseeing. And, um, you know, travel is safer than it's always been or than it's ever been. Uh, but because of this, you know, there are a lot of uh, individuals who are now, you know, they're going from uh, city to city, town to town, and they are... Um, you know, they're philosophers, they're teachers, they're, they're magicians, and, and, you know, they're, they're practicing their craft. Or they're, they're, uh, you know, maybe we might uh, refer to them as, you know, um, get-rich-quick schemes or, or snake-oil salesmen or whatever it may be. But Paul is kind of getting uh, mixed up with this group. right? Because remember, he's only in Thessalonica for three weeks and he gets chased out. And so uh, he needs to, and what he does in chapter 2 is he, again, he's establishing himself as an apostle of Christ that, hey, you know, that I'm nothing like those guys. And, you know, he's going to mention in, in verse 3 that um, he didn't come to them in error or impurity or way of deceit. He's not like those uh, who are trying to make a quick buck, who are trying to um, entice people. Uh, you know, and, and then when they do, uh, and, and when people start finding out that maybe they're not legit, you know, they, they pack up and they run to the next city. And the kind of from the outset, from the outside, it kind of looks like that might have been Paul, right? Because he comes into Thessalonica, he's working with the, the church, he's bringing in something, this this new teaching, the Christianity, and people are being persuaded. And uh, he's only there for about three to five weeks before um, the Jews. Uh, you know, chase him out. And so uh, some people might have kind of gotten him mixed up with this group. And so Paul uh, in these chapters, or excuse me, in this chapter, in these verses, especially the first four, you know, he is, again, trying to establish himself as legit, as uh, showing that he took the pains uh, to, um, to show them, you know, what he did with them while he was there. Um, he's going to remind them that he conducted him, how he conducted himself while he was there. He's going to remind them uh, of his affection for them. And it's going to be very interesting in, in these verses because uh, the, at first he's going – in verses 5 through 8, you can see up on the board that he's going to tell them how he was like a mother to them. And then in verses 9 through 12, he's going to show that he was like a father to them. And so, again, he's assuring his affection for them. Um, his desire to return, we'll talk about that next week in verse 18, that he had a desire to return. Again, if he was a charlatan, if he was a, a schemer, uh, why would he have a desire to return uh, knowing uh, you know, that the people would be ready to chase him out again? And so Paul is the real deal. And then again, you know, stay strong in the presence of persecution. You know, that's his message that he talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2. So let's, 
let's kind of you know, jump in and dissect uh, the first four verses of, of how Paul preached. So, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Right again, so Paul is laying this down for them. Uh, you know, I, I'm the real deal. I came to you uh, with true intentions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sell you something and get out of town. And so... Um, he, he, he noticed, we noticed that he and his companions had not been failures, nor did his message that he had be exposed as fraudulent. But again, he says in verse 1 that our coming to you was not in vain. Right? Again, he's laboring against all of this opposition, uh, but he's proving over and over again the validity of his message, uh, the gospel. Right? Uh, you know, he, he's, he's there with them laboring. Um, we'll see some of those verses here shortly uh, of how affectionately he, he was working with them, how tenderly uh, he was working with them. And he wants to come back, he says in later verses. Uh, he wants to come back and help them out. So um, let's kind of notice verses 2 through 4 again. Uh, that, that, you know, the first readers of this letter, again, those brethren in Thessalonica, um, you know, they were Paul's pupils. Paul was their teacher. He was teaching to them. Um, they were his brothers and sisters in Christ now. And he's preaching with, again, no self-serving mission. Uh, he reminds them of his arrival in their city. Uh, he had just come from, you know, that public humiliation he had in Philippi. I remember he goes to Philippi and uh, he's imprisoned and, and beaten and it wasn't until he brought up that he was a Roman citizen uh, that they let him go and, and let him uh, leave. They wanted to get him out of the city uh, as fast as uh, they could uh, because they didn't want the Roman government to come in. Um, and so Paul goes to Thessalonica. And let, let's think about that. Uh, you know, let me ask you this question. You know, what, uh, as Paul comes into this new city, um, this preacher, you know, would, a, would a congregation today hire an individual like Paul. Some people saying yes, some people say no, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough call. You know, Paul, uh, with his employment history, um, you know, of being Saul of Tarsus, uh, but then converting uh, to the Apostle Paul, uh, of him, uh, you know, being uh, imprisoned, and uh, coming to them, you know, it might not, congregations today might not hire an individual like Paul uh, because of, uh, you know, what's uh, coming after him, right? It seems like from city to city to city that he goes to, um, you know, people are chasing him out. Uh, but from the beginning, he had faced opposition at Thessalonica, but he had the boldness to preach the truth in spite of the danger. And again, we ask ourselves, if this was another get-rich-quick scheme, why would he continue doing so after being beaten and imprisoned. You know, he's not giving up. Paul is not giving up, and um, it's going to take a lot 
more than uh, a stoning or a beating or imprisonment to stop him to get God's message uh, out there. And so uh, Paul's fellow believers had listened not because he was particularly eloquent. And we, we saw that uh, last week that, that uh, you know, that's not the case. He didn't come to them in superiority of speech. You know, he didn't come to them uh, with great oratory skills, but because of the strong evidence that he had uh, for his love and affection for them. And the message was true and it was genuine. He didn't speak with deceit, he said. Uh, again, he's continued to distancing himself from the tricksters of that time. Um, you know, and as a church, as a congregation of the Lord's church, you know, we want to be like that as well. Um, we don't want to, uh, you know, as some churches do, you know, offer uh, gimmicks. Right, to get people into the door, you know, you you might have seen this before, but you know, some of the churches, the the mega churches in bigger cities, they'll, you know, they'll say, hey, you know, come over here and we'll offer you an iPad or something like that. We'll we'll give you a, a iTunes music card or something, you know, something. That they use gimmicks to get people uh, into the door, uh, but again, you know, Paul. Uh, he only needs the gospel, and that's you know that's good enough for him. That should be good enough for us as well. Um, this great news, the gospel, great news that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried, and then three days later he rose again, uh, and now he's reigning in heaven. You know that's the gospel, and and so uh, Paul, as he continues, um, you know, look at verse four in particular, uh, but. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. He's going to kind of continue this thought going forward that he is not here to please men. He is here to preach uh, the gospel. Um, you know, what good is it to hear a man-pleasing uh, lesson? You know, a, a sugar-coated lesson, if you will, you know, and not that it's bad to hear uh, from time to time, but, um, you know, we see this in some places. I mean, that's all uh, churches get over and over and over again are these man-pleasing uh, lessons, which Paul says that he's not here to preach uh, pleasing men, but, but God who examines our hearts. You know, it's God uh, who we have to all uh, be accountable for. He is the one that can examine the heart. Uh, he is uh, the one that we need to be concerned with. Uh, he also, Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He said, But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of, of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So again, uh, just further a confirmation that Paul is concerned about ultimately what God uh, feels uh, about his ministry. Again, not, uh, not you know, pleasing men, but pleasing uh, himself. Uh, let's notice verses 5 through 8. Because here in these verses, Paul is going to um, demonstrate uh, how he was like a mother to them. Uh, when he was in Thessalonica. So uh, beginning in verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. 
Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so found an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Right, so Paul, he's not here to flatter them. Right? He's not here to um, compliment them, um, because for a flatterer, uh, you know, greed is excusable uh, due to self-interest. Um, but, you know, d- does this remind you of some of these verses of maybe, uh, you know, televangelists? Are you familiar with televangelists? You know, you might watch them on the television set and, you know, the, it's, it's not about um, God, but it's about having you send in, uh, you know, your money to them so that they can uh, do what they say is as good works for the kingdom. Right, but but it's over and over again. It's you know send our money in or send your money in. You know one one preacher jokingly said, uh, you know when he listens to them, he, he thinks there's basically the gist of it is you know make your donation for your salvation and my vacation, right? Because that that's a lot, a lot uh, how they sound. Uh, do you remember Ray Stevens, uh, the singer? You know, he kind of did a lot of parody songs and stuff. Do you remember the song that he, he did, uh, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex? You know, if you remember that song, uh, you know, in the lyrics it says, You're asking me for 20 with 10,000 on your arm. Right? That's not Paul. Paul says right here, again, in verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. He's not there to uh, make, you know, make a quick dollar. He's not there to... Uh, hustle them or to um, scam them. Um, Paul is there not pleasing men, but he's there preaching God. He says, you know, he's not going to avoid the tough topics. He's not um, going to uh, be there to uh, live above his means. He's not there to, you know, gain um, notoriety as a preacher. You know, that, that, that he's you know, he wants to preach on all the, the great big lectureships uh, that, that are possible. No, he, he simply is there to preach God's word. Uh, one, one of these uh, preachers um, in preach school said something that always stayed with me. But he said that he believes or is convinced that, you know, the greatest gospel preacher today is a man that no one's ever heard of. That he's a man that he's working in his small town, that he's laboring with his small church, and you know he's there faithfully serving God, you know every day. And he's not concerned about uh, getting his name out there. He's not concerned uh, with you know with notoriety or anything like that. But he's simply doing you know God's job or you know God's work each and every day faithfully for that congregation that he's working with, and so. And notice also in verse 6, you know, Paul said at the end of that, he said, you know, we could have asserted our authority um, as apostles of Christ if we wanted to. You know, we, we could have, you know, rose up and, and you know, you know who you're talking to uh, type of reaction. Uh, but he didn't do that again. Uh, he wants them to understand his love for them in this different uh, way and so that's really what seven and eight verses seven and eight are talking to the affection 
this motherly affection that he had for them. Um, like a newborn child, right? A mother and a newborn child. You know, I, I used this illustration for a sermon a while back, but uh, let me read this to you. In July 2002, uh, Dan Barber put up for auction on eBay an item he called the best mom in the world. Maybe you remember this or not, but the listing stipulated that the winner would receive an email from his very own mom, Sue, uh, who promised to make you feel like you're the most special person on earth. And this auction received almost 43,000 views. It had 92 bids, and the winning bid was $610. That's the value that was placed on this warm, motherly email that that the recipient uh, purchased for $610 from uh, this uh, Dan Barker's uh, mother. Uh, You know, uh, mothers, uh, you know, they they tend to be uh, more affectionate um, than, than maybe a father. And so that's why Paul is using this contrast here. Uh, he says, when we came to you, we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing, nursing mother tenderly cares for her own, her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Notice that. Paul is coming into this, this city. He's building up this congregation. You know, and it's not strictly business to him. You know, it's not like he, he's showing up at, at the building uh, or at somebody's home, I guess, in the first century. They're showing up at the home and conducting the worship service. And then you, know, you don't see him the rest of the week. You know, Paul is intertwining his life. And, and don't forget Silas and Timothy who are with Paul. They're intertwining their lives with this congregation here. Um, Again, showing this affection for you, for them, uh, this great metaphor that he uses of a mother. Um, you know, moms, you know, they get up in the middle of the night to take care of the crying baby, right? I mean, some dads do, but uh, that, that, was, that was tough for me. And so, you know, mom did that, you know, 95% of the time, right? That, that, uh, that is uh, an affectionate uh, motherly thing to do. Changing diapers, again, you know, I don't know which uh, uh, dads out there enjoyed doing that, but, you know, that, again, that, that wasn't something that may, normally a dad would maybe enjoy to do. Uh, not that moms enjoy, enjoy doing it, but, you know, it's something that has to be done. Someone has to do it. You know, comforting, you know, the little children when they get sick. Again, uh, these are things that we think of when we think of uh, uh, a mother's love for their child, and that's the love that Paul and Silas and Timothy had for this young church. Again, um, you know, he, he uses uh, the, the description of a mother to get this through to them, uh, but then in verses 9 through 12, he's going to basically, you know, change it up and then kind of, you know, give the fatherly aspect to that. So let's, let's read verses uh, 9 through 12. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy 
of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul begins uh, verse 9 talking about uh, working uh, night and day with them. You know, Paul was obviously a preacher, but did Paul have a second job? Right. Yeah. So all Jewish, uh, you know, young adults growing up were to learn a trade. And so, you know, obviously Jesus uh, was carpentry and Paul uh, was tent making. You know, Paul uh, knew how to, you know, build tents, uh, put them together. And, you know, that's something that uh, Quill and Priscilla, he does with them. Uh, also in the book of Acts, uh, you know, he gets together with them and helps build these tents. But, you know, Paul had this other skill, uh, other profession uh, that he could rely on. And that, of course, was tent making. And um, again, we, we thank to the validity of his message here. You know, again, why would we, uh, you know, if we truly knew Paul, uh, and that he was there laboring with them, not only preaching and teaching by day and, and you know, building tents by night. You know, how, how could we possibly label him as one of these uh, scam artists or uh, you know, these people that are trying to uh, make a quick buck uh, there in the city? Um, but again, working their hands to the bones up half the night, moonlighting so that they wouldn't have to support them while they proclaimed the gospel. And uh, so that's... Paul says, you know, he's given them this more evidence uh, to his claim that he is true and that he is um, devout and upright and blameless uh, towards them who believe. And so uh, let's look at verses 11 and 12, um, because we, you know, we just acknowledged uh, the fact that, you know, Paul um, described them as this motherly affection, but now... Uh, he points to you know a different type of love, but a father's love. Uh, you know, neither a mother's love or a father's love is superior, but or or inferior of the other. You know, a child really needs uh, both. You know, the maternal aspect Paul reflects upon their concerns for them, and now the paternal aspect is pertaining to the instruction of them. You know, and it's a shame of what's going on. You know, especially today in our country. Uh, how you know, those lines are starting to blur, how people want to blur uh, the father and the mother. Um, but Paul here in these verses are, tell, are showing that we need, uh, you know, they need both. They needed both of these. And the father, like a father, Paul says, um, they needed to be exhorted. They needed to be encouraged. They need to be charged or impl- implored to live a life worthy of God and his calling. Um, you know, we see this all throughout the book of Proverbs. Right? Uh, the Proverbs writer teaching, you know, of, of, of discipline, uh, of how to raise children. Um, Proverbs 3, verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Uh, Proverbs 13, 1, talks about how a wise son accepts his father's discipline. You know, even in the New Testament, we see um, Ephesians chapter 6 comes to mind, verse 4, where uh, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, emphasizing uh, the father's role uh, in the upbringing of the children. It says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction 
for the Lord. And so, you know, really what we want to get, what we want to grasp in chapter two is that God's love for us can be compared to, you know, this motherly affection. And but it also can be compared to uh, the fatherly uh, instructional uh, type of love um, that, you know, that God wants for us. Right. We are are to obey God and, and we know that God is love and God loves us. Uh, this is a love that's both unconditional uh, but demanding. And, and so uh, we see that, uh, again, that, that love for them, uh, as Paul is bringing out here uh, in these verses. And so, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, to keep that in mind that this is a very young congregation. Right? And so uh, just, just because they're young, they're spiritually, they're, they're spiritual babes. And so they need this instruction and they need this maternal aspect and, and this paternal aspect uh, that, that God's love uh, provides. And that Paul is doing his best to um, you know, get involved with that, that church there, uh, be part of their lives, uh, grow with them, uh, even though he necessarily can't do that because uh, you know, he only spends you know, a very short time with them. Uh, but, you know, of course, he sends Timothy to them and Silas to them, and uh, he's writing these letters to them. And so uh, he is very much involved in uh, the work with this uh, small congregation. So we will uh, begin the, the second half of chapter 2 uh, next week, and uh, we'll touch on verses uh, 13 through 20. Uh, I'm not sure who was assigned to do closing prayer. But I'll go ahead and take that. If uh, okay, let's let's go to God in prayer.